Welcome to the second in our series looking back over the best of the 2017 ATP World Tour and as the sunburnt energy sapping dirt made way for the sweet verdant pastures of the grass court season thoughts turned to transitioning and who was best to do it the quickest no messing around here for our how-to guide we went straight to the top Roger Federer. Yeah, I think movement and footwork is uh, the biggest difference I see in terms of how you play on grass because you have to protect the middle in a different way than you do on the hard courts or on the clay courts. You know, you're caught more often than not in awkward positions, which we're not that used to. Dominic Team. Both on clay and on hard, you have a pretty good grip. You can turn around quickly and on grass it's not that case. I mean, if, if the opponent uh, puts you out wide one time, the point is basically over. So the, the main thing I think on grass is that you are in the, in the offense from the, from the very first shot. And maybe your first reaction is going forward rather than backwards, like on other surfaces. So it is worth it to come in and just see what happens with a bluff play and come to the net. And then of course you've got to back yourself when, you, when you're volleying. Alexander Zverev. The shots have to be maybe a bit flatter. Uh, a bit more precise, you know, than on clay. You have to give a lot of topspin, you have to try to push the player back. Wearing grass, it's a, good, it's a little bit different. Kane Nishikori. Uh, balls uh, much faster, faster and uh, bounce low. Um, so you gotta, you know, really stay down from the lead turn. And yeah, sometimes you have to come to the net a little more, you know, to, to play aggressive. I think um, the, the serve gets even more important than it is already. And also, Concentration-wise, you you are a little bit more focused because, like every point, is really important. And um, on clay, somehow, or on, on slower hard courts, you can always get a break back or something. And on grass, it's it's really difficult. The slice usually skids a bit, and when it skids, you have to be a little bit careful. Um, you know, not to be too passive on it or to be too aggressive on it. So you just always got to find the right balance. And if you hit a good slice, it can really keep you in play in a nice way. And you can keep the rally going and then, you know, switch. Sort of to have that transition game from defense to offense very, very quickly. It requires good hand-eye coordination, um, the understanding of which one is a short ball. Um, and maybe also to volley short sometimes, I guess, is a good play because uh, the ball doesn't bounce as high on grass. I think it depends on the game style. Of course, you can train the movement patterns, you know, the way you you, should, you you hit the ball. But I think you know someone like my brother is going to be always more natural on grass than on clay. Um, someone like Roger as well. So um, I think it depends on game style a lot. I think because of uh, the short grass court season that we've seen over the years, it's been actually difficult to perfect the grass courts for many players. Whereas maybe now we'll see better grass court players as we move along because we do have a week more to actually improve your footwork, your mindset. And I think it's actually only positive for the players that we have more grass court uh, uh, play. And I think that we're going to see yeah, uh, quite an interesting change in like the next five years or so. But it seemed that even the great Roger Federer was struggling to find form on the grass, stuttering to an early defeat in Stuttgart against wildcard Tommy Haas. However, one week later, that result already a distant memory. 
5-3, 40-15, serving for his ninth title. He serves to the forehand, he serves long. The ball just flicked back from Federer to the ball kid who catches it well by the side of the umpire's chair. But this for the title, for Federer again. Serves out wide, the return comes back, the backhand volley is perfect! Roger Federer, champion in Halle, once again. Avenges the loss to Zverev last year in the semi-finals here. It is his 16th title on grass, his ninth in Halle, and the 92nd title of his amazing career. After an extended break before the tournament, it seems there was no need to doubt your grass court tennis, a ninth title here at Halle. I was doubting myself a little bit, I must, be, I must admit, because losing first round, you know, for the first time in 15 years on grass was always going to shake me a little bit, so, and it did, so I'm, I'm happy to react right away and let that be forgotten and actually move on and remind myself that I actually can play well on grass, so it's, it gives me great confidence and, yeah, of course, I'm like on cloud nine right now after the ninth win here in Halle. It's, it's a wonderful feeling to win here again because I'm, I'm not sure if I'll ever get a chance to win this again, so it's important to enjoy this one. With Federer now flying on the grass in Halle, the top seeds were decimated in the opening rounds of the Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club in London. First, world number one and defending champion Andy Murray lost to Australian Jordan Thompson. Then Tanasi Kokonakis beat Milos Raonic. And Feliciano Lopez defeated the second seed, Stan Wawrinka. Another standout victory was that of 18-year-old wildcard Denis Shapovalov, who overcame home favourite Kyle Edmund and also went toe-to-toe with the number 14 player in the world, Thomas Birdie. The biggest thing I take out of it is that, you know, just, just believe in myself that I can compete with these guys. And, uh, you know, it's tough when you're playing challengers and, the levels are still really good, but you you know you don't know if you're going to make finals that week or go first round and go out first round. But uh, being able to compete with guys like Thomas and Kyle is just you know it it, it gives me a lot of belief. Uh, going back into challengers, I think that you know I could beat these guys and I can go deep in these draws and even compete with the with the best in the world. How do you feel out there on the grass? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, I I love it. Um, I think it really suits my game, having a lefty, big, big lefty serve and uh, like liking to come into the net and being aggressive. It really, it's always suited my game. I've always uh, had doubts whether or not I'd be, I'd be as good as the year before on grass. But uh, every year I've come back, I've, I've played even better. So it's, uh, I think it's been great so far. Yeah, we've seen yourself, Feliciano Lopez, Gilles Muller, all lefties, all big serves. It's, uh, it helps, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, returning lefty serves. I know, you know, as a fact too, playing against lefties, it's not easy. It's a different spin coming at you, but especially on grass, uh, it's tough returning on grass in general. But when you have a lefty, it just completely throws you off, and it's it's extremely difficult. And you got a wild card for Wimbledon. Have you taken a while to think about how that's going to feel stepping out at the All England Club? Yeah, it really hasn't hit me yet. It's probably going to be uh, pretty nerve wracking, probably a day or two before, but. Uh, I think it's just going to be incredible uh, to be back at that tournament. You know, I played incredible last year on that on those courts, and uh, just to be at such a prestigious tournament, it's it's you know it's mind blowing, and I'm just I'm very excited for it. Ranked 193 in the world as things stand at the moment, probably going to go up after this week. But um, are you setting targets at the moment? I mean, just 18, as I've said, or or are you taking it week to week? Yeah, I mean, at the start of the year, uh, my goal was to be 150 in the world. Uh, and now with these tournaments, it seems very realistic and maybe even, uh, 
you know, if everything goes well, I could be top 100 by the end of the year. But uh, it's it's extremely tough to set goals with, with you know, points coming off at Rogers Cup. And and I'm defending quite a bit in the, in the summer. But uh, in the first year, it's really tough to say, you know, what, what goals to have because my, my results really vary. And, uh, you know, I'm still working on a lot of things. So I might not play my best tennis uh, week in and week out. So... I would say like it's 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 pretty tough to say what uh, what my goals are. And Dennis would surely go on to deliver all of his season's goals and then some. If the early stages at Queens were all about the next gen, the final was a little more vintage. Can Lopez just keep it into check? Trying to win a sixth career title. Hick picks up forehand kicks. We got back well. Chinich goes wide. It is Lopez's. Lopez has won the Aegon Championships, one of the most traditional events on the ATP Tour, and he's won it to the delight of his parents who've just flown in. What a contest! He went down and he lost the first set, but has fought his way back. A gripping final at Queen's. Lopez has won 4-6, 7-6, 7-6. Wow, I cannot believe that uh, I finally won this trophy. I've been waiting so long, 15 or 16 years, to be here holding this trophy. I thought, I thought by the end of the tiebreak, after losing a few match points, that I was not going to able to make it. But I was a little bit lucky at the end that I... I won today and I also want to congratulate Marin, you were the toughest opponent today. And also best of luck for Wimbledon. Yes, you both played your part in just a fantastic final. And you mentioned the match points because have, you had a match point a few years ago against Dimitrov. Was that coming through your mind at all? It's tough to put that match point away from my mind. No? I was serving for the match again, and yeah, it was, it was so difficult to be there to handle my nerves, but finally I was able to do it. And, you know, I was waiting so long, so I'm so happy today. Do you, and, and many people too, they love watching you here. And you must have felt the support out there today. Yeah, this place is amazing. And thank you guys for coming during the whole week. You've been supporting me every year. And uh, it's been amazing to play in this club. It's really an honour and, and a pleasure to play in this court. Delight for Feliciano Lopez, but Marin Cilic could also hold his head high, having played his part in a thrilling final. And I spoke with his proud coach, Jonas Bjorkman. Most of the guys, you know, they're always looking to, to be confident out there. It's all about winning matches. Uh, he had a great uh, great run on the clay. Uh, maybe started a bit slow the first uh, three months. Uh, but, you know, also had a very long year before. So I think that was, uh, you know, natural more or less. Yeah, but the, the clay was really good. He won a lot of matches, uh, had a lot of opportunities to maybe even do better. But, you know, overall it was his best uh, clay court season and uh, his best performance in Roland Garros. So that obviously gave him a lot of confidence heading into the grass, which he normally likes to play well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can see that when the confidence is there, obviously, uh, on most of the players, they, they, they're, looking, they're looking happy. 
And you mentioned, you know, we've now transitioned to the grass. How natural a fit for Marin is the grass? It seems an ideal surface for him in so many ways. Yeah, it does. Uh, I mean, he, he's a tall guy, so in a way, uh, you know, you would think that it might be, uh, you know, the ball b- bounce a bit a, a bit lower uh, for him. But he's uh, he's such a good athlete, uh, and he always stays low, so he sort of comes very uh, natural for him to to be on the grass. And he, like I said, he moves well, uh, which helps a lot. Uh, so he he is very comfortable out there, uh, and obviously with his. With his serve, uh, you know he can take advantage of that and, and uh, get a few uh, free points uh, of that, so which is always helpful. And as a former grass court player, some repute yourself. Do you want to see him go in more? Are you are you, are you encouraging him to, to go up and, and be at the net? Yes, uh, I mean obviously, uh, obviously something that we uh, spoke about uh, when he asked me to come into his and join his team. But he wants to be more aggressive, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely pushing. Uh, we're working uh, a, a lot, you know. I would say every day we, we, we on practice, we, we, we try to uh, get him uh, to the position where he comes in and be more comfortable at it. And it's all about get, gaining confidence in, in that when, when you're not used to it, and, and something that you sort of find the rhythm of, you know, moving forward, get the split step right, and then fine-tune the last uh, two three steps uh, and and when you do that and and you win the points obviously it's a lot easier to continue and, do, and be more aggressive so uh, uh, hopefully uh, down the road it, it, he, we're going to see him come in even more we've seen other players you know bringing in specialist coaches if you like for the grass Stan bringing in Paul Anacone which is very interesting uh, Mark Knowles coming in to work with with Milos you're in the luxurious position in many ways of not having to do that you can you can do it all <laughs> Well, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> um, clay wasn't my best, uh, really. But uh, you know, I think it's all a balance. Uh, we we have a second guy that is travelling uh, with me, Ivan Sinkus, who, who's doing a great job when I'm not there with Marin. Uh, and uh, we also try to find weeks where we are together as well, so uh, we can always work and improve uh, on on a few things. Uh, but like you said, I think everyone is always trying to improve. And, and if you have a specific uh, surface that you're not so happy with your performance in the past, uh, it's, it's not bad uh, to maybe add someone in and maybe can come up with a little bit of experience and, and help out. This time of year must bring the memories flooding back for you as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's nothing better than the first hit on grass. Uh, for me, it's... You know, like that's the feeling when it's finally summer uh, and, you know, the whole grass court season is, uh, for me, very special. So uh, I'm going to enjoy these weeks and uh, hopefully with some good results from Marin as well. So another top coach, formerly with Pete Sampras and Roger Federer, had teamed up on the grass with Stan Varinka and his regular mentor, Magnus Norman. That is, of course, Paul Anacone. It's been terrific. Uh, a lot of good conversations with Magnus, understanding kind of how they operate and, and the best way that I can be impactful and not distracting um, and, and make sure that I'm my messages and messaging is the way that has been successful for them in the past. So Magnus has been tremendous. He's been really helpful for me um, and, and for me to be able to kind of sit by his side and be a sponge um, and kind of listen and learn is a really good thing for me as well. So all in all, it's been good so far. I was going to ask you about that. How do the two of you really dovetail, um, you know, work alongside each other to, to get the best of, of both of you for Stan? Well, I think a lot of it is about 
accepting your role and understanding that it is a team and and magnus is one of the most for as great as he is and everything he's done he has an unbelievable amount of humility and class um and so for me i just wanted to talk with him first just to get a good sense that we were had similar philosophies and the communication was good and it seemed great and that's how it's been all the conversations have been really good we both uh respect and trust each other and I, I'm going to lean on him a ton. He's been here doing this for four years now, and he's coached Stan to three major titles. So he knows what he's doing. And so I'm not worried about that. My goal is to figure out how to add, you know, maybe a couple little things that can be really important at big moments because that's all it takes in the major events. It's usually a couple little things that happen in the big moments. And if I can be someone that can help um, put some stuff together that actually registers like that, that'd be terrific. You mentioned the philosophy. For the benefit of the listeners who perhaps don't know, what is, in a nutshell, I guess, uh, the Paul Anacone philosophy? Well, the Paul Anacone philosophy, it's really just about trying to figure out how to maximize your game and understanding your game. And at the pro level, it's about maximizing it and being able to execute it on different surfaces. And that's the reason why Stan and Magnus called me is because they hadn't, you know, Stan's gotten to the quarters a couple times and they thought maybe because of all my... Um, experience on the grass and that I could have a couple of different philosophies and a different viewpoints that might trigger something that felt really good and impactful. Um, So my philosophy is that. It's about what kind of game do you have, how do I want to play it, and how do I manage adversity in the biggest moments. And for me, that's what I will try to articulate and, and kind of get into Stan's mind and Magnus's mind as he prepares and gets ready to play Wimbledon. The players you worked with for a long time and achieved notable success with, and by that I mean, obviously I'm talking about Pete and Roger, hugely dominant on grass. What about them makes them dominant on grass? Well, Pete was a different era. Pete's era was a serve and, you know, first strike tennis, serve and volley, bang, bang. And he once he got comfortable on grass, we saw how great he was at that. Um, I think most of that's because I think he probably has the best second serve in the history of the game, especially at big moments. Um, and he trusted himself in big moments on grass. Roger was just Roger. I mean, Roger dominated, you know, for half a decade on most surfaces. And so he was always very comfortable on the grass courts. His style was a little bit different. Um, but again, it's about tr- really, if I were to sum it up, it's about trusting yourself in the biggest moments when you have the least amount of time. And that's grass court tennis. And so if I can help Stan trust and believe in himself in his style of play at those moments then I feel pretty comfortable with the end result that will come from that So heading into Wimbledon while others were fine tuning defending champion Andy Murray was just trying to be fit enough to take part and that's a point I put to his former coach ATP tennis radio commentator Miles McLagan on the eve of the championships I was one of the one of many who I think at the, at the end of last year could have seen him dominating the sport for a couple of years and boy has it, it turned on its head but uh, and as you say the, the grass court pr- uh, preparation has been very limited uh, just the one match at Queens and then of course the much publicized hip injury hip niggle in, in the week leading up so I, I think it's not uncommon for top for any players to have those niggles because the stress leading into a grand slam particularly for Andy is you know world number one uh, the defending champion as you said the, the stress levels are great but the fact that he has adjusted his practice schedule missed a few things is a little concerning but 
you know, the two weeks is a long time. If he can get through some of his matches, it can actually, you find players can actually improve physically as the tournament goes on. Well, let's hear from the man himself, Andy Murray. The last few days' practice has been great. Each day I felt a little bit better. I obviously, you know, had to take a few days off early in the week and, you know, missed a couple of the exhibition matches that I wanted to play after losing early at Queen's. But my, my hip feels, feels good and I'm looking forward to, to tomorrow. I've not really been in this position before coming into a slam and not felt great physically normally. You know, felt pretty good um, going in, so that's just something that I've had to, to make some adjustments to, to the preparation and, and stuff. But I feel good now. You know, I'm fresh physically, that's a positive thing. Sometimes maybe I've done too much or wanted to practice too much um, in the, the build up to a slam, so you know, got to try and see the, the positive in it, and I'll definitely be fresh when the, the tournament starts. How do you like approaching a tournament in terms of you've defended here before? Do you look at it as defence or another opportunity? No, I spoke a bit about that in the press just now and that I want to win the event. That's what I'm coming here to do. I don't feel like I'm defending anything. You know, this is the start of a, a new event, um, you know, and it's one of the biggest tournaments of the year and I want to go out there and, and attack it and, and try to try to win it's obviously I'm aware how difficult that's going to be and you know I'm, I'm going to have to work my way into the tournament a little bit if if I can but no I'm going out there to, to try and win not feel like I'm, I'm defending anything this time you've got the number one uh, player in the world banner hanging over your head does that feel any different to you does it add any more pressure at all it's not hanging over my head it's something I'm very proud I'm proud to be the number one player in the world and I'm looking forward to coming back here and trying to win Wimbledon again it's you know, one of the, the biggest tournaments of the year for all of the players and, you know, me being a Brit playing here, it's, it's obviously uh, extremely important and, you know, I'm nervous and, you know, I feel feel pressure and, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I, I enjoy it and I feel like I perform better when I'm, when I'm under a bit of pressure. Interesting hearing from Andy Miles. It's home from home for him, though, at Wimbledon, isn't it? Which must help. He's a real regular face around the club. He must feel at home here. Very much so. And, of course, the good vibes coming back in. He's won there twice. And to be honest, he was the first person to put it in perspective. He said, you know, it's strange. Every other sport, you know, home, home turf is seen as an advantage. It's painted in tennis in terms of the pressure that comes with it. And I definitely think, uh, uh, you know, his amazing achievements have come in steps. I was here when you won that Olympics and, and I think the, the public perception changed towards him as someone who they sat on the edge of, edge of their seats wondering, oh my God, oh my God, is he going to blow it? To someone who they sit there now and go, well, he's probably going to win. Who's he going to play in the final? Which is, a, which is a big shift, I think, just in the atmosphere on centre court when he plays now, his perception in the public. And he's earned all that, but he's very much at home, as you're right. He's, he spends, a, you know, does practice at the club at times throughout the year and lives not too far up the road. You mentioned the word pressure. John McEnroe has said that no other sportsman, he doesn't think, deals with the kind of pressure that Andy is under in, in this fortnight. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think, uh, interesting he says it, I actually think, on a one-off event, I think his Wimbledon title is the greatest individual sporting achievement that... I'm aware of in my lifetime. When you think of the pressure, the 77 years, I mean, everybody around the world knows 77 years. The, 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 how the, the, the spotlight is all on him. You know, you've got the, the American players, they share it a little bit. They've had the likes of Agassi, Sampras, Roddick to follow, whose footsteps they've followed in. The French have had great players, but they, don't ha- they didn't quite have the expectation on them because they weren't at the top of the game. Uh, the Aussies have had s- some great players, but again, the expectation, the way the media is in this country, uh, I think the, the pressure was was 
immense. And uh, so, yes, I go along with that. I think the scrutiny is phenomenal. As his former coach, put, put yourself back in that position now. We've talked about the hip. He's lost first round at Queen's. He's pulled out of two exhibitions over the past week. Is there a slight concern that physically he's undercooked? There would be more from how he sees himself. I know Andy was someone who always gained a lot of confidence from, from knowing that he was in great shape. And sometimes you know, there were criticisms, I think, that he did overwork. And probably that was true. But he also needed to do that work to feel, to feel mentally relaxed, to go on the court with a confidence that he could outlast his opponent. And you know, it's, I think that, that belief, that confidence within oneself overrides all the sort of scientific data. But how much he's been able to do... The, and the matches, the French Open would have helped him a lot because he got uh, six matches in, uh, maybe ran out of a little bit of steam, but you know the grass is probably not as taxing as the clay. So I think you've got to you remind him of those things, remind him that he's been here before, uh, remind him also that you know staying relaxed is also part of the process, trying to, to conserve energy for what hopefully will be ahead for him for the next two weeks. Murray's first round opponent was next-gen star Sasha Bublik, who seemed undaunted by the prospect of playing the world number one on centre court. But then he'd already been rubbing shoulders with the top ten as a guest reporter, and a pretty good one for ATP World Tour Uncovered. So I've got Roger Federer here and I'm going to ask you, how can you, how your hair can be so perfect every time? It's not so perfect, it's a battle every day. No. Grow it out a little bit and you'll see. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a new doubles partner for next week. Do you mind to play together with me? No, I won't play doubles. Which side do you prefer, right or left? Right side. Do you mind me to play on the right side? Because I'm better on forehand? Uh, yeah, okay, sure. You have a okay, better forehand. Okay, so we play an experiment <laughs> together. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, Kay, what was the funniest thing you ever done on court or off the court? On the court, I'm, I think I'm the nicest guy. On the it's not funny. <laughs> hey, I'm here with Joe. I want to ask you, your hairstyles is so good. How can you manage this? You just let it grow up and that's it. Is, it, gonna, is it helping you to become a top player to winning ATP tournaments? Yeah, of course, because I'm going too fast, so I need to slow down, so it takes the, ah, okay. the win. You know? Okay, okay. Can you please teach me how to celebrate after the match, how to be as, as good as you are? It's easy, man. Just it's let your easy. imagination, you know. And you jump, like you, you're really jumping? every time I try to I jump have this idea you know to I'm jump getting old so I'm jumping uh, a little bit yeah a little bit less than before I'm here with Marin Cilic and I have a couple of questions for you man how Thank can you. I be that cool and chill like you are uh, just uh, have a nickname like me Chila Chila yeah oh. that's, a, that's a cool nickname I like it does, does anyone everyone calling you Sir Andy Murray does uh, I need to call you Sir no either? no you don't no no Andy's fine thank you okay yeah. what, what was the funniest thing you ever done on court I don't think I've done many funny things on court, I to be honest. I think you've done. Yeah? Well, you, do, you, do you have any? Yeah, like you yeah. run from the back of the court taking drop shots and winning it. That was kind of fun. <laughs> what kind of advice you can give me to be that good as you are? Uh, well, a lot of training. Uh, I Is that useful? Lot. Train? Yeah, that, that definitely helps. And yet not serving 20 double faults in a match. Would that was help. a good advice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Roger Federer, Kei Nishikori, Joe Wilfred Songa, Marin Cilic and Andy Murray with Sasha Bublik. In the end, Murray would win their opener at the All England Club and go on to make a pretty good fist of defending his title. But with his hip clearly troubling him, a quarter-final against big-serving American Sam Querrey proved a game too far. Elsewhere, another of the big four exited early. Rafael Nadal falling in an epic five-setter to Gilles Muller, 
who at the age of 34 seemed to be playing the best tennis of his career. And as luck would have it, I'd spoken with him before the tournament. For a couple of years now, um, I've been playing very well. I, um, I think the reason why is that I'm, 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 I'm fit. I'm, I don't have any injuries. Um, I used to have a couple of injuries in, in, in the past. And uh, yeah, since the last three or four years, uh, I haven't had any. So uh, I'm able to play full seasons, which, uh, which is helping me... Uh, Gaining confidence, getting rhythm, and um, not having those ups and downs that I used to have, and um, yeah, it makes makes life easier. <laughs> Is that what you put it down to? Just getting consistency through fitness? Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing was um, when I had that uh, that last injury in, in 2013, um, I had problems on my elbow. I was told that I couldn't play tennis for six months. So um, in the beginning, it was quite hard to take. But um, after two weeks, uh, I just told myself, look. I'm going to use the time now to, to get myself into the best shape ever because when do we have uh, six months in our tennis lives to, to, to practice and to work on ourselves? Um, I mean, the only time we have is basically in the off-season in, in November where we have uh, sometimes six weeks at the most. And um, so this time I had six months. And uh, so, yeah, I used that time to, to get myself into the best shape, shape I've, I've ever been. That Melbourne tournament came off the back or soon after your first career title in Sydney. How much did that mean to you? Oh, it meant a lot to me. I mean, uh, I've been on tour now for 15 years and uh, uh, I lost uh, five finals before that. Last year I lost a final where I had, I believe, three or four match points uh, against Ivo Karlovic in Newport. And uh, So, yeah, it got to a point where I was thinking maybe that I would never win one. And um, so, yeah, when, when, I, when I won that one, it was, it was great. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of uh, weight that fell off my shoulders at that moment. And, um, yeah, it was just perfect. My family was there, my boys were there, and uh, I always dreamt of... Uh, of uh, playing well and in front of them, in front of the family, and then to lift the trophy w- with them, and, and, and yeah, it was just a perfect moment. You mentioned you've been on the tour for 15 years. You, you've got a family now. You're a family man. How does that experience change your outlook of the tour? Well, it makes it tougher, to be honest. Sometimes it's not easy to to leave home. Uh, you miss many things. Um, like I missed my my my, my oldest uh, my eldest son uh, son's birthday. He became six, and I wasn't there, so. Sometimes there are tough moments, but um, on the other hand, um, I always dreamt of, of, of being on the tour uh, and playing the, the, the big tournaments and, 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 and them watching me and, and also understanding what I was doing because, I mean, um, it's a difference when they're two or three years old. They know I'm playing tennis, but they don't know what I'm really doing, and now they kind of understand what I'm doing. And and I thought it was important uh, that, uh, that uh, they would see that because, um, I mean, tennis is a big part of my life, and once I will, I will stop, I think a lot of those things uh, will be gone. I mean, the traveling and, and playing the big tournaments and everything. So uh, I really uh, wish that, that they could uh, see that and, and experience that. And, and now that they can, it's, it's, really, it's really great. I'm really happy that, that it's possible. How often do you get to take them with you to tournaments in a season? Not often enough, to be honest. Um, but, um, I mean, they're going to school um, and, and um, here and there we can take them out for a couple of days. But, I mean, basically we can ju- they can just come when there's uh, the school holidays. And uh, so, um, yeah, that's every every six weeks. And it also depends where I am at that moment. I mean, sometimes it's only one week of holiday. And when I'm then uh, somewhere in Australia or in the States, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to, to fly out for, for a couple of days to the States. So... Um, we try to arrange it uh, that um, any time it's possible that they come, but it's unfortunately not that often. You mentioned before you live in Luxembourg, uh, native Luxembourg, obviously, and you're a bit of a celebrity back home. You're, you're a big sports star. Do you, do you enjoy that? Do you thrive on it, on being the figurehead for, for tennis back home? I mean, enjoy is probably not the, the, the right word. I mean, to be honest, when I was younger, I didn't enjoy it at all. <laughs> 
but um, now I kind of um, feel that I have responsibility um, and uh, and to be honest yeah it's fun it's fun when when um, you see the the, the, the young kids uh, that also try to, to do something in sports look up to you or ask for advice and, and, and you feel that uh, when you tell them something that they're trying really hard to do it uh, so um, yeah I feel like I have a responsibility and I'm, I'm very happy and also proud to, to be able to do that. So Nadal and Murray out, soon to be joined by Novak Djokovic. Instead, Sam Querrey, Marin Cilic and Thomas Birdie joining Roger Federer in the semi-finals. Stretch on the back and the off forehand into the net and that is it! A flawless performance from Roger Federer! History made at the 131st Wimbledon Championships. Federer becoming the first man to win eight titles there in his 11th final at SW19 and his 29th Grand Slam final in all, making it 19 career Grand Slams in total. And afterwards, ATP Tennis Radio presenter and Wimbledon commentator Gigi Salmon got the immediate thoughts of her co-commentator, Jeff Tarango. It's incredible. I mean, he passes Renshaw, he passes Sampras. Rod Laver was sitting there watching. It was a lot to swallow. I think Roger was even really welled up about it. I don't think he envisioned himself being in that situation. He was trying to be as humble as he could all through the tournament, like something could happen at any second that could snap that dream. And he said it perfectly, I think, in his, his award ceremony that he just kept believing he could do it. And it's a real testament to those kind of attributes, but also to, I think, my child... Was my both my boys were here listening, and they said, "Can I be like Roger?" And I think that that's what you want in a champion. You want your sons, you want your family, you want everybody saying, "That's what you got to try to be." And people thought that nobody could do what Sampras had done. People thought that nobody could do what Laver has done. Now everybody's going to say, "Well, nobody could ever do what Roger did." So, who's the next kid on the block? So. We should all just relish what Roger's doing right now. Well, I was just thinking, who would have thought that we moved to Flushing Meadow, the fourth major of the year. Roger Federer has won two of the three. There's injuries at the moment to know about Djokovic and Andy Murray, and we're thinking, well, probably Roger Federer could get the hat trick this year. Yeah, it, it's interesting how that cycle's going, isn't it? It's, um, you know, Novak and Andy are so close in age, went to the same tennis academy, and they're kind of training cycles, they're their surfaces align so they're kind of going in one cycle and Roger and and Rafa are going in another cycle and now it's almost like a stock market like how do you how do you pick it so everybody in the tour at that level you have to take a deep breath and maybe it's time to take a little deep breath but I by no means think they're gone I think they're going to come back stronger and another man who'd come back stronger was runner-up Marin Cilic, whose on-court tears during the final became another abiding memory of the championships. Difficult to watch, as described by another of Gigi's co-commentators on the day, Lucy R. It was so tough, wasn't it? And he obviously got the trainer on and we were a little unsure in terms of what was happening. You could see that visibly he was upset and just seemed to be maybe struggling with breathing. But then obviously we saw the, the second time where the, he actually got the treatment and he got that foot re-taped up. So it was a blister. So he obviously was aware that he wasn't fully fit. And if you ever need to be fully fit, it's at the Wimbledon final up against Roger Federer going for his eighth title. So I think it just hit him. I mean, full credit to him, the fact that he stayed on. But he obviously knew that he was going to be... I mean, he said he was facing a mountain. I mean, it suddenly then became 
a double Everest, didn't it? <laughs> he said it was really tough today. He gave it his all. He couldn't play with 100%, but he was never going to give up and he was going to play through it. But that, the emotions, the occasion, the opponent, as a coach watching on Lucy, you're helpless. You are. You're sat there in the box um, as his team was. There's nothing you can do. You're obviously trying to read signs in terms of pick up on what, on what possibly is going on and, and what that might mean. It crosses your mind with, with the fact that whether can they carry on. Obviously, he, he was able to, but they would have been fully aware that not being 100% is chances that were, were pretty slim in the first place because it was playing Federer were then uh, getting smaller and smaller. So it's, it's so difficult. But I think take you know nothing away from the fact he's had an incredible two weeks. He was unable to get past the quarterfinals. He's now made the final. And for him, there's a lot of positives to take from it. The immediate here and now, though, clearly dominated by one man. Even the finest journalists and scribes were running out of superlatives for Roger Federer. So what did tennis TV commentators Nick Lester and Robbie Koenig make of it all? Well, I think the first thing to say is even he's surprised by the level he's producing. I know he said that consistently over the last six months. I don't think he even expected to, to come out and play this way. And to be honest, when he speaks, you generally hang on every word because you f- there's so much empathy with him. And I think people believe what he says uh, with such a kind of fierce loyalty that I genuinely think he, he didn't think to be producing the level he has done. I think to answer your question directly... You know, clearly a grass court is obviously going to be favourite for him because it's such an instinctive form of the sport and he's played instinctive tennis over the years like no one else ever has done. You know, his ability to take the ball early, uh, his serve, obviously, uh, he gets so much out of his serve. The back end has been the shot that people have been highlighting this year. But let's be honest, I think, folks, he won this at a canter, didn't he, this tournament? Really? There was one test against Thomas Burdick, but to be honest, was he tested, Rob, here? I don't really think he was, was he? No, he wasn't. In fact... I think the last time somebody won the Wimbledon title in straight sets, uh, I think you had to go back to 1976. It was Bjorn Borg who was able to do it. So you're spot on, Nick. Um, the fact that the field seems to be a little diluted, but of course you've got to make it happen, and that's what he's been able to do. The fact that the biggest challenges haven't been around. Um, even somebody like a Nick Kyrgios, who's, who was injured as well at the start of the tournament, I thought, you know, if that guy was healthy. He was the guy who could push Federer if he were to come up against him later on in the tournament. They've played twice. They've played six sets. Every set's been a tiebreaker. So even somebody like Kyrgios wasn't in the mix this time around. That's it for this week. Join us next week as we continue our look back on the best of 2017 with the hardcourt season in the company of the biggest names in tennis. I'm Seb Lozier. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Remember, you can find it on TuneIn and on iTunes, where you can also leave us a review. And if you like the podcast, you will certainly want to tune in to the ATP Tennis Radio channel, which is available 24-7 throughout the year and live every day of the Masters 1000s and for the finals of the 500s. You can listen through atpworldtour.com and via the TuneIn and Tennis TV apps as a free-to-listen option. Join us next week.